Welcome to ASCP's podcast, Inside the Lab, where we discuss anything and everything that concerns today's laboratory professionals and pathologists. My name is Pat Tanabe. I'm the former executive director of the Board of Certification, and I am one of your hosts. Hey, everybody. My name is Kelly Swales, and I'm also one of your hosts. I'm an ASCP certified medical technologist, and I work in the publications department at ASCP. So today we're going to be talking about current trends in MLS education. Uh, We've got some really great guests, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Well, I'm Pat Ellinger. I am uh, certified as a medical technologist, now a medical lab scientist, many, many years ago, and then later um, got my master's degree in health education, and then got my SBB degree going through Barnes Hospital in St. Louis. And I've worked in a lot of different settings, both education settings and um, medical laboratory settings. And I'm currently on the faculty at St. Cloud State University in Minnesota, where we have both an a regular three plus one MLS program, and then an MLT to MLS program, and a newly acquired histotechnician program. Hi, and I'm Sue Johnson, and I'm a medical laboratory scientist, SBB, also a master's degree. I actually am the director for clinical education at Versity. Uh, Versity is uh, a number of blood centers together, and I'm in, in Milwaukee at Blood Center of Wisconsin. I'm also program director for the Transfusion Medicine Program at Marquette University, along with the Specialist in Blood Banking Program. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Gacko-Blessing. Um, I serve as the Associate Dean for Student and Academic Affairs in the Doisy College of Health Sciences at St. Louis University. I, too, am a certified medical technologist medical lab scientist. Um, I have over 30 years experience, both in working in labs and in education. Um, I also hold an appointment as associate professor in the program in medical laboratory science. Everybody, uh, my name is Amanda Reed. I'm a faculty member and program director of the medical laboratory science program at St. Louis University. Um, I currently oversee our traditional in-seat program that's been going strong for over 90 years now. And we are launching a new hybrid MLS program starting fall 2022. I started out as a high school science teacher, and uh, that didn't work out so well. I had horrible classroom management and uh, was trying to figure out what to do with my biology degree and stumbled upon St. Louis University's medical laboratory science program. Uh, At the time, it was called the clinical laboratory science program. Dr. Blessing was one of my professors, my favorite professor. And uh, <laughs> once I graduated from uh, that program with the second bachelor's, I uh, started working at the microbiology lab at Barnes Jewish Hospital until 2012 when I transferred uh, to a faculty member at uh, St. Louis University. Full disclosure, Dr. Beth was also one of my favorite professors in college. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys so much for joining us today. This is going to be a really great conversation. But before we get started, I need to do the CME statement. CME and CMLE will be available for listening to this podcast in the ASCP store. The American Society for Clinical Pathology is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. ASCP designates this enduring material for a maximum of one AMA PRA Category 1 credit. Physicians should only claim the credit commiserate with the extent of their participation in the activity. Okay, Pat, you want to get us started? Sure thing. This is a question for everyone. Can each of you describe for our audience what sort of educational 
paradigm you're using or whether you're moving towards something else today. In 2007, uh, a colleague of mine and I were um, asked to spend some grant money <laughs> and develop this MLT to MLS program. Um, lab managers in the area realized they were lo losing good MLTs to um, other careers because they didn't feel like they had an, a place to advance or get a, a another job within the system. So the goal then was to develop a program that MLTs could take while they were still working as an MLT and then gain their MLS degree and then get a position as an MLS and get paid more and set up a, a different position that perhaps had um, more job satisfaction. So we contacted various um, affiliation laboratories in the area and asked if they were interested, and many of them were. So that is kind of the program that we have. We started with just three um, affiliates, and now we have nine. And uh, we've never had to advertise for our students. We always, they have, they come to us because um, they've heard about the reputation of the program, and there is the need there for MLTs who perhaps when they first started out to college after high school, they weren't able to afford going to a four-year school. They went to a two-year school, and then later on, they wanted to advance their careers. How about Sue Johnson? You want to talk about the program that you're looking at developing? Sure. So as I mentioned, I'm at Versity um, Blood Centers, and we are in five states, but four where we have immunohematology reference laboratories. In, of course, like everybody, we're struggling to find good, qualified, you know, certified individuals. So we're working on developing a what we're calling our BB internship program, or as in our HR world, right? We had to have a, a term for it that, so we could have, hire them in. So we actually uh, have a position called an associate scientist. And here they have to have a degree in sciences. Any of the ones that would qualify for a BOC certification exam, specifically for us, the BB, the blood bank categorical exam. And we actually put together a little search committee. We interviewed, uh, we had five people interviewing, including one of our medical directors, myself, the hiring manager. And uh, we, we interviewed different candidates for this, these associate scientist positions and kind of took it, as I mentioned previously, you know, I'm also director of our SBB program. So we really took that as how do we uh, get the right people in because we want them committed to being studying and learning and being ready to take that, that exam. So we had great conversations with the individuals. We hired two young men, actually, that are, are in the program now. We know this is an investment in them. We actually gave them a, a book you know, so that they can study from. We're in the process of developing the curriculum as we go. And it just so happens that I have a wonderful uh, graduate student, Andy Pahomey, shout out to her, who is uh, working on developing the curriculum for her master's capstone. And the idea is that they're going to learn everything we would teach a entry-level medical lab scientist student so that they're and more, right, of course, because we want them to be able to, to pass that BB exam ultimately. So Andy has been putting together a curriculum. The goal is that these individuals will 
learn all of that didactic portion in the first four to six months of working for us. But in the meantime, they're also being trained to work in the lab under supervision, of course, because they're not going to be qualified to work, at least by clear requirements. And then the goal is that after a year, they'll have all the background, the knowledge, and they'll have a year of working experience so that they'll be eligible to sit for the BOC exam. There are others that are doing this as well in hospital settings and things, um, but we're kind of taking the advantage of having the SBB program and then building it out so that that'll be ready for the BB BB uh, individuals. So it's a work in process, progress right now, but pretty excited about it. Amanda and, and Elizabeth, I'm really curious to hear more about this hybrid program you guys have going on starting this fall, you said, right? Uh, can you guys tell us a little bit more about that? Beth, do you want to first start by talking about the traditional program, and then I'll talk about why we uh, wanted to pursue the hybrid? Certainly. So we have a traditional program um, where the students do their core requirements the first two years. They spend their junior year learning all of the lab didactic and student laboratory um, coursework. And then the final year, they go to clinical rotations, and we try to get each student to at least three different places so they get to see uh, different settings. And then they do some wrap-up coursework before they graduate. So that's where we are right now. All of the classes, uh, with minimal exception, are on-site, in-person. Yeah, and um, we also offer some categorical certifications as well. And that was one of the things that um, kind of led us to think about how we could expand our traditional in-seat program to promote MLS for students who already have a bachelor's in biology or chemistry, because most of my categorical students already had a degree in biology or chemistry, but we're looking for a way to get their foot into the clinical laboratory. Instead of choosing a second bachelor's option, which would take most people at least two full years, we decided that we would pursue this hybrid MLS option. And so essentially what we've done is we've taken those final two years, which would be four semesters, uh, we've condensed them into an accelerated format. So it's four consecutive semesters. So um, it would be a fall, spring, summer, fall type format. And then uh, the students would take all of their didactic courses um, online. They will then be expected to For now, they are coming to SLU's campus for a select few weekends a year. When we expand the program, we hope to, our goal is to set up uh, student laboratory experiences close to where those students reside uh, throughout the country so that they don't have to travel to St. Louis. And then they will do their uh, clinical rotations at a clinical site close to home. Uh, So basically, we've we've combined the best of, of both worlds. Amanda, you said that you also do categorical programs. What categoricals in particular are you seeing people are interested in? Yeah, so we currently officially offer uh, three categoricals, uh, a categorical in chemistry, hematology, and microbiology. We strayed away from the blood bank, although I've had a few students who were pursuing other categoricals who were interested in blood bank. And uh, we let them take our lecture lab and I arranged a clinical rotation. And while while they don't get a certificate on paper from St. Louis University saying they have that that categorical, it does allow them to sit for the certification exam in blood bank. But traditionally, we offer microbiology, clinical chemistry, and hematology. Why did you stray away from the blood bank? 
we assumed that more people would be interested in pursuing an SBB um, rather than um, a blood bank certificate. Although I've been pleasantly surprised with the amount of people who are actually very interested in pursuing the, the blood bank certificate. I don't advertise it because it's not official. And in our discussions, when I first meet with students, it just becomes uh, an overwhelming amount of options to them. Uh, so mm. I try to just uh, I kind of hold back on it a little bit to not overwhelm any interested <laughs> applicants. But if it's something that they seem interested in, I'll, I'll add it to the discussion. I think that's a good approach just because in my in my experience and Sue, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I just think uh, especially with blood bank and micro, it's like you want to be a blood banker, right? You don't necessarily like, hey, I like me- being a med- medical technologist or clinical laboratory science. And I also kind of like blood bank. It's like, no, I want to be, be a blood banker. And I say that as a micro girl, right? I wanted to, that's also what kind of led me to the profession was I really liked micro. So, but uh, sorry, Sue, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I, no, I agree with you. Most people are they, they find that passion. I, I can tell you, I didn't mention this, but when I was explaining our, our uh, associate scientists, actually both individuals were internal candidates working in other areas of the blood center. Yeah, oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. One was in components, another was in uh, the distribution uh, area, right? So they've got a little bit of that knowledge already, right? That's not our intent, though, but that was our, since we're just starting the program, it was a great way to give these guys new opportunities, right? And they were hanging around a little bit around the lab, kind of getting an idea of what it was about. But yeah, I agree with you though. It's, you know, people don't don't usually say, I want to be a blood banker <laughs> <laughs> automatically. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta you gotta you gotta reel them in if if they even say the words out loud, you gotta catch them in your net. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually this discussion has brought up another question in my mind, especially for those of you with the categorical programs, but even with Pat, with the bridging program, the MLT, I'm sorry, yes, MLT to MLS. How does that change with a categorical or the hybrid? How does that change clinicals? I think that's a really important distinction. All of most of us have gone through a traditional either four plus one, three plus one program where, you know, the clinicals are very set, but this is all very different for clinicals. And anybody want to speak on how the clinicals are different from a traditional MLS program? I could start by talking about how we plan to do our clinical rotations for the hybrid program. Um, Essentially, we are keeping the clinical rotations the same. Our target audience are people with biology degrees or chemistry degrees. They're not MLTs. They haven't had those clinical experiences as an MLT. And so for us, for the hybrid program, again, with the target audience being people with biology degrees or chemistry degrees or a related degree, they would be expected to to do the same amount of clinical rotations as our traditional NC program. So for us, it is basically a semester of of clinical rotations. I can uh, chime in on our MLT to MLS program. The clinical rotations are determined by the uh, competencies of each individual student. So when students are admitted to our program, the first thing they have to do is get a competency checklist from their immediate supervisor in each of the areas that they work in. So that supervisor then, and there's a, it's a Likert scale kind of, you know, do they, can they work independently? Do they work, need maximum supervision, et cetera? And so 
they um, we determine then from those checklists how long their clinical rotations are. Remember, all of our students have already been through MLT rotations and programs, so they have certain competencies already. Now, many of them do not work in blood bank or micro. We do have some affiliations where they do allow um, MLTs to work in blood bank and micro, and I congratulate them on that. But for those who do not have not had any experience in blood bank or micro since they finished their program, they are required to do a three-week rotation. So we feel that, that in each of the areas, uh, blood bank, chemistry, heme, and micro. And so we feel that they have some of the basic skills they know they don't have to get started over on pipetting and all those safety features and all those rules and regulations. So they can really spend that time learning procedures that they are routinely doing in their current employment. So then, so they have um, a three week rotation. And sometimes it takes a little bit more than three weeks for some of the students because they need a little more practice doing something in order to be to meet um, the requirements of our program. And those then that have worked in, let's say, hematology or chemistry, they obviously have some competencies in many of the areas on our checklist, but they may not have some of the special procedures, et cetera. So from their checklist, from their supervisor, we determine whether they need one week, two weeks, or maybe a maximum three weeks in each of those areas, depending on their competencies. So it's very individualized. And I guess I should probably back up a little bit and say all of our students are individualized. We do admit a cohort each fall but they don't stay as a cohort because they can go full-time or part-time. They can drop out a semester or whatever. And then even when they get to the point where they are ready to do their clinical rotations, the rotations are scheduled at the whim of their employer. And so that's, um, I probably should have mentioned to the employer, in order for this student even to be admitted to our program, the employer has to sign a letter of support saying we will provide the clinical rotations for this student. And um, then, you know, as with any other clinical rotation, the mentors, the um, supplies, et cetera, et cetera. In addition to that, our students have some lab management assignments that they have to do while they're on site. And so they have to have access to some QA records and, and some of the discussions with, that they would have with the supervisor on how they schedule things, et cetera. So there's, it's quite a long list of requirements that the employer has to provide. But we do then for each student set up the length of their clinical rotations. And again, and at the whim of the employer, the employer can say, you know, we can do one week of your blood bank rotation here and the other two weeks have to be next month. You know, that's the student just has to be aware that that's a possibility. And so, again, it works out just fine because the students are working. They have family responsibilities and it's not as if they can go full speed ahead on all of these rotations anyway. But that's how we handle our rotations. First of all, I want to say how nice it is to not have to beg and plead uh, clinical sites to take a student if they already work there. Um, you're super fortunate to, to, to have that set up. And then I had just a follow-up question. I wanted to know, do you require 
your students who are currently working MLTs, do they have to be a minimum of full-time, part-time? Do you have any requirements along those lines? We don't really have a requirement on that. Just as long as they are working, you know, they they couldn't be casual, let's say. We, we want them to be working enough so that they're keeping up their competencies in the areas that they work in. But we don't have a specific requirement on that. Thank you. So do you have any comments on the clinical? I mean, I, mean, I don't know. If, you know, you haven't really started, so. Right. So, I mean, our, our goal will be to develop, well, they're going to get hands-on, right? They're, they're going to also be paid as employees. So they will be trained to ABO type, antigen type, you know, issue label blood, things like that. So we can do a lot of that internally within their job training, right? And then they're going to be working in that role. You know, there might be a few other things like, you know, visiting or you know, spending time with the don- on the donor side, but we can do that, right? Because we have the donors in the building, right? So that's pretty easy for them to get that that kind of experience. So I'm foreseeing that that experience will be a lot like the experience route. If you're going for the SBB exam, for example, that they'll be able to have that our list, right? And be able to sign off that, yep, I spent time in collection, right? Or whatever it might be. So that's our goal, right? Well, we have a little bit of an advantage being in a blood center, right? But I know I have friends that are doing this kind of, you know, build build your own blood bank or microbiologist or whatever, right? And you can do it, but it's getting that extra little pieces that aren't within your lab, right? That are that are the tricky part. Thank you. It sort of leads into another question. And some of you have answered maybe a little bit of this. What prompted each of you to move to these various models for education? I can speak to that a little bit. Um, uh, I think what prompted us was, as we all know, nobody seems to know who we are or what we do. So with COVID coming about, I mean, we were in the process before that, but I think with COVID coming about and us being able to say, hey, we do the, you know, we're the folks that can do that test. Yeah, it's really helped a little bit. But I think it's it's really all about the numbers, you know, trying to fulfill the work shortage that we have um, and bringing students in and explaining to them what who we are, what we do, and what a difference they can make in healthcare, especially if they're not really interested in a lot of patient contact, as we all know. So I think that was a big impetus for us. Yeah, and, and to add to that, SLU is a very traditional university experience, and we wanted to try to capitalize on those non-traditional students that were out there who may already be working in one of our affiliate laboratories um, as an unregistered technologist who want to be able to take that next step. But as you all know, it's very difficult to pass the certification exam through a work route only because you're missing that theory piece. And so we really wanted to try to um, kind of fill that void and be an option for those those students who wanted to advance their careers and needed just a little bit of guidance. I can comment on how our sort of how ours came about. Uh, we had a very forward thinking dean of the College of Science and Engineering at St. Cloud State University and the dean of the community college where the, one of the MLT programs was housed. She was actually a, an MLS who was formerly the 
program director of the MLT program. <laughs> so she um, had a great interest in having a route for MLTs to be able to advance to their MLS degree. And so the two of them then wrote this grant application and um, uh, received a, a fair amount of money for us to um, work on developing the curriculum, um, getting the affiliation agreements, getting all the forms and all that stuff created before we um, started the program. Can I ask you, for your MLT to MLS Bridge program, the folks that have an associate's degree to do the MLS program, did they have to take any additional prerequisite courses? Well, we uh, we evaluate. That's one of the first things we do before they actually even apply. We meet with them and go over their transcript and see what they have and what they still need. So um, going through an MLT program, they obviously have some gen ed courses and they need some more additional gen ed courses. So we identify those. They all have to have the equivalent of our general chemistry course and college algebra course. And if they don't have that, then that's some of the prep work. That, and some of them are willing to do that. They go ahead and take another chemistry course, take another algebra course, et cetera, in order to be eligible to apply to the program. So then once they're in the program, they have to take, uh, we have a lecture course in each of the areas of the lab that they have to take. And they have to take a statistics course and the other things that are required by an, an MLS program. And then, as I said, finish out their gen ed courses. So they have to you know, meet the 120 credits of a baccalaureate degree. So there again, each student is individualized. The whole program is a, actually a logistic nightmare for us running the program because every student is on their own path. They may start as a cohort, but hardly any of them stay together as a cohort. We actually have five different graduation dates during the year, and some of them graduate on any of those times. So again, keeping up the statistics for our NACLs benchmarks is just, it's quite a nightmare. But it is the, really the best for the students because they can progress at the, the rate that they're able to and able to um, you know, do their work, take care of their family responsibilities, et cetera. It really is hard to keep track of them, but that is really the best for the students. And that was really our goal for the program. Sue, how about you? What, what prompted oh, you to move, to move to this? For us, it, it was not having people even applying for positions, right? There's like everybody, there's so many openings everywhere. That was probably number one. And the second was, it is a great career ladder kind of um, mm -hmm. opportunity, right? Especially if you're in an organization that has biology, chemistry, other degree individuals that are working. So, um, and even if they're in one area now and they want to be a blood banker, right? It, then they that gives them an opportunity. So, yeah, it's all about the workforce right now. Mm -hmm. Well, yes. and historically, right? That's not necessarily a new problem and it's not one that's going to be solved tomorrow. I hate to say, but so I want to talk about like kind of the advantages and disadvantages that you guys have found with each of your programs. Well, so far, and in talking with other people that are doing this, these individuals didn't get taught the core laboratory principles, sure. right? The lab QC and attention to detail and also just the theory, right? 
So the problem solving takes longer because they have to first learn the baseline. And then once you have the baseline, right, then you can, you know, do more critical thinking. So that's been our challenge. And in talking with others that are doing the same thing, that's been our biggest challenge. Not that they won't get there. It's just that they haven't gotten what you guys are providing in the other programs. Right. Beth, how about you? I think one of our challenges has been the university never had a core curriculum until now. (laughs) And so um, starting with the fall of 2022, all incoming freshmen have to have this core curriculum. And it used to be a free-for-all. So if you were in one college and you switched over, then you had to do the core there. And it didn't always align. So it's a good thing. But the challenge that we're seeing is trying to get this core in. Because students are going to be doing a second baccalaureate degree or a first, because we also have students that have 60 credit hours of coursework that can do the prereqs, finish those, and then come in for the two, four semesters. So we've got a couple, two avenues there. Um, but the, then the problem is trying to figure out how to work all this core in. So that has been a real challenge. I think we have ways to do it, but it's a lot of work. One of the, the challenges um, for us traditionally and with the hybrid program is just visibility, figuring out how to, how to get that information out there to people who would be interested in, in our program. And then with the hybrid program, one of our challenges is, um, like I alluded to earlier, we eventually want to have student laboratory experiences close to where these students are located. Right now, we don't have a big enough cohort to have you know, to set up a whole lab experience in one city and then another whole lab experience in another city that's just not uh, realistically cost effective. So um, so they will have to travel to SLU. Eventually, once we grow uh, and we get more students in more cities across the United States, we can have some more centrally locations for student laboratory experiences. That's our goal. That's our hope. But we're not quite there yet because we're brand new. So Right. We also have to work with the laws, you know, because yes. about offering education in different states. So that's yes. also been a challenge for us. State authorization is. And that's why we're doing it in St. Louis right now as well. Yes. I mean, <laughs> primarily the numbers. But even we're marketing. One of the thoughts was, well, we could market where we know, you know, depending on the state authorization. But it's been quite more challenging than we anticipated. It's a lot of paperwork to get that state authorization completed. Oh, yeah. Well, we have a lot of advantages, as I think I've kind of mentioned, in that the students have that background that Sue was just mentioning. Theirs is are lacking in that they've been through an MLT program. They know all the safety stuff. They know pipetting and, you know, some of those basic things. They also know what they're getting into. It's not like they're starting a four-year MLS program where I have to admit, when I started college, I had no idea. I had no idea. MLS or MedTech was. I think when I was at the end of my junior year, my chemistry teacher asked me, what are you going to do with your biology degree? And I'm going, I thought I was here to find a husband. (laughs) (laughs) So I I want to do something professional. He suggested um, he suggested uh, medical technology at that time, but our students know what they're getting into, so they are very motivated. And again, our program we need no advertising. The students come to us as as they hear about now when when they have their colleagues that have gone through the program and are recommending it, etc. Certainly, the disadvantage that the students have is that it's a really busy time for them working. Um, Some of them try to work full time 
and then they have families and then their schoolwork, et cetera. So sometimes we really have to kind of help them, uh, encourage them a little bit to study a little bit more and not just kind of try to slide by. But it is really. And then, of course, like I mentioned, the logistic nightmare of keeping track of where each student is in, along their course of their program. So there's more advantages than disadvantages. <laughs> that tracking sounds like a nightmare. How do you do it? We've got a big spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) How many students can you take, Pat? We usually each fall. Now, COVID's been a little bit different, but generally we admit 20 students each fall. Uh, Our very first year, I think I mentioned, we admitted nine and um, we had three clinical sites and word of mouth. Uh, It was like probably two years later, we were admitting 20 to 24 students for a while. We have very few, I guess we haven't gotten to that question maybe, but we have very few students who drop out of the program. Some take longer than others, but almost everyone that starts the program does complete the program eventually. That's That was my next question was like, what's the minimum they can finish it in with their working and how long has been the longest? That's an interesting, because it's all individual. The first students were highly motivated and I would say probably some of the highest GPA students that we'd had because they had been hearing about us developing this program and they were just chomping at the bit. They had a lot of their gen eds done. And so they were just ready to plow through the MLS part of it. And so they could get done in two years. Right. Um, it could get done in wow. two years. We don't really have a maximum time. If, if someone's really lagging behind, we kind of, you know, counsel them and advise them, you know, when are you going to finish the program? <laughs> and, um, you know, usually they, they, you know, that maybe kickstarts them and, and gets them going. Wow. Well, you're the first one I've ever heard that went, went for her MRS degree and got an MT degree instead. <laughs> uh, Amanda, uh, do you have something to add? Oh, uh, Pat, I was just going to ask you, for those that do take a little bit longer to finish, do you see a higher or lower um, success rate on their certification exam? There may be some of that. I guess I was going to comment. We do have, if if a student um, fails the certification exam, occasionally one does, we have a pretty intensive program that we put them through with uh, reviews. Um, the current program director meets with them almost every month on a different subject and they do review questions and then they go through, you know, why the answers are right and wrong, et cetera. And um, so far, everyone that has failed the exam the first time passes it the second time. Oh, that's great. Wow. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question about success. You know, what is your success rate? Um, (laughs) I think you've answered that. But or for those of you that haven't really started your program, what is the benchmark? And I'm assuming, obviously, it's to complete successfully complete the program and pass the certification exam. But what is your thoughts on what you would like to see? Our goal, right, is that they pass and they become a full scientist, right? Because currently they're hired at, a, at an associate scientist level and, and they're going to want to do that as well, right, for career opportunity. I'm not sure what we're going to do if they don't pass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because so they're working for nine you, months. right, Sue? <laughs> Sue, they, they're yeah. employed by right. the... So that would be very interesting because you're not charging them. Is that correct? Right. To right. do this program. So that right. is interesting. 
we're paying them actually, yeah. right? I mean, we're paying them to work. Yep. So our expectation now will be that they pass. So, so Sue, yeah. you say that, that you're paying them to work. So do they, do they have separate times when they're a student as opposed to an employee? Right. They're working. Um, we have our mentor who is working with them. Also, we're developing online because we are in the four states. So it'll be online modules that they can be with somebody as well as have time on their own, right, to do worksheets and knowledge assessments and things like that. So there is time built into their day. Our goal is that they get all this didactic within the first four months to six months. Four is a lot, I think. But I think that was the original intent. I don't know if we're going to make that four months. But um, the at least within six months, they've had all of that. And then they practice, right? And they study and I mean, and they're gonna and, and they've all they've been told you have to study on your own. You're not gonna be able to do all this at work and during normal work hours. So but we're making a commitment to them, right? To to do this. So So yeah, I think for the for our in seat program, I mean, we we haven't historically had any any issues with with success rates. We've usually have close to 100% pass rate on the certification exam. Like Pat said, occasionally there's there's one that, you know, doesn't pass, but then takes it again and, and passes eventually. For the hybrid program, you know, I didn't even question, maybe that's naive of me, uh, but <laughs> I just I just had no doubt that, that they would be the same. The online courses are the same rigor and structure of our traditional in-seat program. Structure is a little bit different. There's no like lecture, but it's the same rigor and same expectations. So maybe I'm just being naive or just overly optimistic. I don't know. But how many how many students will you be able to accept in the hybrid? We will accept up to about 24 students per cohort. That would be our our goal, our big goal. Mm-hmm. We're not there yet. We just started, but that's as many as we can accept per cohort. That's in addition, right, to your in-seat people? In addition to the in-seat program. Yes. The in-seat program, I can comfortably take 15. That would be me and being able to place them all in clinical rotations and have a backup plan if something fell through. I'm with some upcoming cohorts, though, I'm pushing it to 20 and I'm a little nervous. (laughs) But that's it. That's uh heartening though that you're you're getting more applications and and you're looking to kind of expand and you're expanding through the hybrid right so yeah yeah in and theory, you could have almost like 40 40 students per year which is phenomenal yeah that would be that would be all that would be just absolutely fan, fantastic and i don't know if covid has anything to do with it like beth said earlier with you know kind of highlighting what the importance of the profession and you know, what was the last time you heard an average person ask if you got a PCR test or an antigen test? Like no, <laughs> no regular person ever asked right. that before. Yeah, uh, that's right. in the vernacular now. Yeah, yeah. or they know an people, antibody. People, yeah, right. no, exactly. <laughs> so I think it might have been kind of a blessing in disguise for us at least, but I don't know. We'll see if the trend continues. Well, I think all of you with the programs you have, especially the hybrid or online, you know, does open up a lot more seats for people or availability for people to do a program. And, you know, these categoricals, like, you know, I know, Amanda, you said you have them. Sue is opening up hers for blood bank. We already know that they're springing up ASM sponsors, a micro one through Weber State. 
And, you know, the big problem, as we all know, is the clinical sites. That is a limiting uh, factor in all of this. Mm-hmm. If you can get people to open up their sites, especially for blood bank and micro, as we know on our uh, survey that, that BOC does, those are the difficulties, right? Is that limits their ability to take more students if they cannot place them. So all of this helps to allow more people, more individuals that have the bio degrees and or, you know, are just kind of lost and, you know, they didn't get their MRS, so they're going for something else they, <laughs> <laughs> to go into the field, which is wonderful. I think that's absolutely fantastic. So to kind of wrap us up, I want to ask each of you briefly what you th- see as the immediate future for MLS education. And by immediate future, I'm saying like the next five years or so, where do you see us going from here? I'll start out. I think I'm just um, relying on other programs to produce MLTs for one thing, and there's always a shortage of them also. Um, We have been accused at some time of stealing MLTs away from labs to make them into MLSs and that there may not be enough positions for MLSs, but that hasn't really been the case. So we're relying on other programs to produce those students and such that they um, have jobs as MLTs and, and are um, are anxious to come into our program. And certainly every other program that's creating MLSs, uh, are, we, we just congratulate everyone who's working on that. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more um, cooperation between programs and collaboration between programs in order to figure out kind of mass market ways of attracting students. And I would also personally, I would also like to see employers kind of taking on some of the brunt of advertising for the profession in general, because all of us who who have these 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 programs, there's only so much marketing we can do on our own. And so if we have large hospital systems, large employers who who have that budget, who can really try to um, advertise and promote awareness of the MLS profession, I think that would would make a a huge difference. So in addition to collaboration, marketing, I think flexibility among MLS and MLT programs uh, with regard to being creative with uh, requirements, especially with regard to clinical rotations, because we all know that's a, a bottleneck for all of us, is what I see in the next five years. I think we're going to have to start getting out of um, this traditional way of of thinking about our programs and really thinking out of the box. Sue? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everybody. I think our name recognition is increasing. The fact that we are are taking a stand on that we are medical laboratory scientists is going going to be huge. So I think that recognition is coming. And I think the, I like, I like to, Amanda, what you said about, you know, getting more help from our employers, right? Our universities, our, our, our organizations that we work for, right? Our, our professional societies, right? I mean, the more we can do around getting the word out about what we do, the better. And I think also from the university side, I've, you know, being that I'm also at, you know, at Marquette University, they're universities are having to think about how they are, what kind of students they're putting out. And what a great opportunity our degree is, our medical lab science degree is, is that you have a profession, right? Right. Versus, I know, I sometimes I get grief about it, but versus a biology degree. Like, what are you going to do with it, right? Yeah, there that's a big degree. reason I 
or a one reason too, that I didn't go like straight biology or straight chemistry. It's like, okay, well, if I sign out to go to med school, then what am I going to do with my life? Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to add to um, the Minnesota State University system, all the community colleges and universities have um, a program for promoting degrees that have um, small enrollment. And so we have benefited from that in that even our histotech program, we're kind of sharing things among campuses now in the state. And so we are getting some help from that. Oh, and, and one more thing I would like to say, and, and Sue, your your program actually made me made me think about this, but and this goes back to employers because there's only so much we can do at a university level, is making it more affordable for people to get these these degrees. We all know cost can be a huge barrier. And I think um, employers are in position to help with that to some extent. And I think, you know, maybe instead of uh, hiring bonus, more toward tuition reimbursement or tuition forgiveness would be fantastic to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that we could all talk about this for another hour, (laughs) but we're going to wrap it up for today. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been really interesting and I'm really looking forward to seeing how all of this pans out. I want to remind our listeners to uh, tell their colleagues about the podcast and also don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And also don't forget that you can receive CME or CMLE credit for listening to our podcast by looking for Inside the Lab in the ASCP store on our website, www.ascp.org.